Hello, and welcome to the God and Entertainment Podcast with your hosts, Brian Gadawa and Chris Moore. Here's Brian. Hi, welcome to our podcast. This is episode two, Pandemic Movies, the sequel, The Zombie Apocalypse. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Gadawa, and I'm a Hollywood screenwriter and a novelist. My co-host is... Hi, I'm, I'm Chris, and I am a, an editor and a writer. And I've also, like Brian, been working in Hollywood for over two decades. We have to do our, um, our website, so gadawa.com. We have to do our self, shameless act of self-promotion. <laughs> and, and what, Brian, is on your site? What would I find if I navigated there? And uh, so on gadawa.com, basically, I try, to keep, I try to make it a very interesting website so it keeps you abreast of all the projects I'm working on, whether movies or, or novels. And I've got lots of great free material and you know, a lot of pictures, a lot of um, just explanations and stuff, really cool stuff that, that it's, it's not your typical boring uh, website for a writer, I'll tell you that. So you can find out about all kinds of stuff that's free before you even buy the, before you're even interested in buying into the novels. But, and my, my focus right now on my novels is is um, I'm telling I'm retelling biblical stories with the supernatural uh, viewpoint in them. So it's, it's this is not your typical Sunday school sort of um, you know retelling of Bible stories. And I can't really talk about the movie projects I'm working on right now because they're sort of super secret. So oh well. <laughs> <laughs> but you also you blog quite often on your site too. Right. Yeah, I do because I'm on a lot of podcasts and stuff, and and um, I do blog a little bit, not a lot, but uh, but I also I always put my my latest interviews on on the blog as well. So where I'm talking about my novels and going into detail and stuff like that. So how about you? So for my site, it is uh, cmobmo.com, which is I'm a I was born and raised in Jersey. I put a little edge on it. Cmo is a, sort of a nickname. My nickname it came up some years ago. Maybe someday I'll get into that story of where it came from. Uh, but Cmo and Bmo is in yeah, like you might expect. Be more, see more, be more. <laughs> Encourage everybody to be to. That's what we're hoping through this podcast to uh, inspire others to whether you're an artist struggling you're starting out as an artist or you're a seasoned pro um, just trust in the lord let go of your fears learn and discern and just kick butt and and hopefully do great work so my site if you go to cmobmo.com uh you'll see uh an audio drama, two audio dramas one that i produced one that i wrote and directed uh right now i'm putting up a short story that's part of a collection I'm working on with a friend uh, named Michael, and we're putting out a book of short stories with biblical analysis of each. And these short stories are, there's Twilight Zone stuff in there. There's just modern social issues. I've got a story called Blackface in there about a kid, a kid in Jersey in 1991 who goes out on Halloween in blackface. He convinces his two, he's a white kid and he convinces his two African-American friends to go. So I'm working on a, a ton of different stories and working on a couple books. Uh, so there's excerpts of stuff there. And uh, yeah. Okay, so so we're we're in the middle of a three-part series. We're in part two, three-part series called "Viruses in the Zombie Apocalypse," and you know we wanted to do movies about pandemics and their threat on, on human extinction, extinction and all that kind of stuff. Uh, obviously. You know, we because we're starting the podcast out in the middle of a pandemic, we thought mm, that may, might be nice. But you know, there's there are genres of movies. These are genres that uh, we love anyway, so um, we love to talk about this kind of stuff. Now, the the first episode we talked about was about viruses and such. You know, and I, I don't know if we, you know, it, it was the first show, and and I don't know that we hit everything we wanted to talk about. But 
you know, um, I think we've got a lot to talk about with this next episode because both Chris and I love it. And um, but there's before we jump into zombie movies, um, we want to just talk a little bit about horror because we know that, you know, particularly the religious audience, um, Christians or Jews or what have you might uh, oftentimes have have a hard time with horror. And and I understand why. Um, But horror is a genre that is actually um, like any other genre. It can be used for good or bad. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people, you know, uh, in the religious communities tend to sort of see the bad versions of everything like horror and just sort of throw it all out. Right. So it's, you know, horror is just, you know, the worship of fear or worship of evil. You know, they think that it's actually that kind of a thing as if as if you, you watch horror because you like evil. But that's really not the case. And as Christians, we both um, have come to appreciate the horror genre. And for myself, I can say that one of the reasons why, in fact, if you uh, hopefully when we have this posted, we'll put a link to um, I have a free article that I wrote called An Apologetic of Horror. And uh, what I did there was I described how horror is a much maligned genre, but actually it's very biblical. And as a Christian, I always, um, you know, I like to, uh, I live my life based on the moral values that I see in the Bible. And when when I did a study in the Bible, I found that God actually loves the horror genre because he uses so much of it. For example, one of my favorite books of all time is is the book of Revelation and everybody knows that's a symbolic book full of symbols. There's all different interpretations, but at the end of the day, you've got, you know, multiple uh, seven-headed dragons. You've got monsters running around eating people. These are all symbols of things and they're all monsters and horror. Um, And of course, my second favorite is book of Daniel, which also has the beasts coming out of the sea and, and out of the land and they're, they're hybrid monsters like you see in Frankenstein or Godzilla. <clears throat> and so, um, you know, and I could go on and on where God, you, God tends to use horror in the prophets a lot because in the prophets, they are trying to communicate the spiritual uh, wickedness of particularly Israel and how it needs to repent and turn back to Yahweh, right? And so that, that genre, um, God uses images like, uh, um, I think it's I think it's Malachi. Sorry, I don't have the verse on my on my fingers, but um, there's a verse where he talks about how uh, he literally. I used this verse. I should have had. I should have been more prepared. Um, I think it's Malachi three. Chris, why don't you look that up while I'm talking? Yeah, you talk. <laughs> I think it's Malachi three, and God is talking about how Israel, the leaders of Israel, have been apostate and led his people astray, and he literally uses the zombie metaphor. He says, "You are eating the flesh of my people. You are cooking it and eating it and cutting them up." I kid you not. And of course, it's clearly a metaphor, but that's the point. He's using horror to communicate spiritual seriousness. So that's one of so in, in a very real sense, from my perspective, we live in a postmodern society that tends to believe that morality is relative, right? And so therefore you can't judge other people, you know, um, for their morality. Unless, of course, you know, you're the morality that I don't like, then I can judge it, you know. But in general, they don't want you judging them for their morality. But the problem is, is that in, in the horror genre really brings home the power of uh absolute good and evil and you know you when you watch a horror movie and you read a horror novel you know this is real evil and this monster or evil murderer whatever it is deserves to die we must fight and destroy 
real evil. It's not one man's uh, freedom fighter is not an, another man's terrorist. That is the case in their perspective, but in reality, no, there are really evil people who deserve, um, or you know, whatever monsters. We're going to talk more about the metaphors as well. But but my point is, is horror has for me been a very moral medium moral genre and that's why i've actually written several horror films and and um uh, had one made and um so i it it's i think it's one of the strongest ways of really punching home a, a spiritual message to people not the least of which is in horror films you can be more explicitly supernatural and even explicitly christian like you you for the life of you you can't get a movie made of a, of a, a romantic comedy where it's about christians you know unless you're going to make it in the christian movie world you know but in, in terms of hollywood you know you can't but you can make hollywood movies about demonic possession or you know horror movies and you can bring in a strong and explicit Christian message, and it often is the case. That often happens. We'll talk about that um, for sure eventually. But uh, so that's from from my little personal journey. That's uh, um, that's why I wrote the apologetic for horror because I knew you know many Christians would be like, what, what, how can you say that? But I give all these biblical uh, references and, and prove it from the Bible, and and so there. Are th and I'll just wrap this up, and I'll, I'll give you your time too, Chris. And you know, but. Uh, there's I, in in the article I write I think three basic you know ways that horror is a helpful genre. One is that it can be used to uh, reveal man's original sin. You know this is this notion that you know people tend to think oh we're all good we're all basically good and it's the system that's bad or evil. But it shows that individual human hearts are evil. Another way that horror is valuable is it's used as social commentary. We're going to talk about that when we talk about zombies. Social commentary, it's a metaphor for social commentary. But also it's a way for uh, showing man's hubris, human hubris. Uh, humanity thinks we're God or we want to be like God or we want to be control of everything or what have you. And it often, like think Jurassic Park here, you know, it comes back and it bites you because you are, um, you know, you are going beyond what you should be able to as a human being. So those are some ways that, that I think horror as a genre is really powerful and that's what drives me personally. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think you covered it. I don't have to add too much. We started talking about we started talking about Frankenstein and wanting to be gods, and that for me is a big draw to this this genre because the big thing is whenever like Tower of Babel, whenever we as humans start to step into a place, whether it's we're going to talk about a movie tonight about cure for cancer backfires, cure for Alzheimer's backfires. Oh, we have a super, we talked in the last episode about outbreak. We have this super powerful virus that we can use as a weapon of mass destruction. And that backfires. It's these trying to take control over the world in a large scale way, forcing human, human will over super, trying to supersede the Lords. Uh, it, it backfires, and that's one of the things that I love. And I, I do want to get into one thing really quickly. The the verse was Micah that you Micah. were quoting. It's Micah uh, three one to four. So you you had it. It was Micah. Thanks so if anybody for that. wants to know that, <laughs> how'd you now, um, how'd you find that? If, since I, since I was I, wrong with Malachi, because I I typed in the actual flesh 
and eating, you know, eating flesh. And I okay, put in cool. the wrong verse, but it got me to the right one. <laughs> great, great, so, great. Yeah, thank that's goodness. Good. Thank goodness for the internet. Um, yeah, for Google, you know, is, although it's not the greatest, it does come through sometimes. Yeah. And if I'm the apologet- apologist of horror, I should have that at my fingertips. But I always mix up Micah and, and Malachi. So it's Micah 3, Micah 3, Micah 3. Great. Okay. Well, let, but you were let's really keep close. moving. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask you, though. Um, so ha- have you ever, uh, do you have any projects or stories that you've told where you've, you know, used the, the, the horror genre? Not, not that don't get in too much detail, but just you know, has that been something you've done? Ah, good question. I am working on a story. It's going to be a, a while before it comes out, but I'm working on a story that it's very hard to do. And I guess you, you, I mean, I know that you know this. When you're telling a modern setting story and you're doing it from a Christian perspective, it's hard not to go to the great solution very quickly in a story. All I have to do is believe and call out Christ. I have to believe it. But I have to call out and I can cast a demon out. But we know that the apostles tried to do that. The disciples tried to do that. And it didn't work. A lot of, a lot of in the early days of this, when Christ was walking and, and teaching, people who followed tried to do it and it didn't work. It exploded because they didn't really believe. And that's the kind of thing, if you're going to tell that kind of story and go into horror and deal with real faith, that's why the exorcist with a lot of hard stuff that's in that movie that I don't necessarily recommend all Christians seeing is so great as dealing with a a priest who isn't sure that where his faith is, what he believes and, or or how, how deep his faith is. And that causes issues. So what's really awesome is yeah, dealing with that struggle. So me, I have a story that I'm working on. Um, and I have a, a, a part of the story that I really love is a, a demon tries to turn crosses upside, does, turn crosses upside down and this character is sharp enough to know uh calling out to the demon that upside down cross doesn't mean what you think it does hollywood doesn't understand what that cross means and that's how he gets a foothold in on this demon so cool cool you know one other thing i want to throw out here too was um yeah uh horror one of the reasons why it's it's power it's needed it's needed is because one of my uh, uh most uh one of my biggest messages when I teach storytelling is that uh, dealing with and dealing with we could by the way we will probably have a whole episode on sex and violence and should the Christian watch Game of Thrones you know but but one of the one of the things that I think is so important is that uh, for a story to, to ring true for a story to really hit home with an audience is is if you or I put it this way the power of your redemption that you are offering in your story because the story is ultimately about redemption the power of re- your redemption that you're offering is only as powerful as the depravity or the sin that you are the accuracy of the sin that you're depicting from which they're being redeemed so if you you know one of my complaints with a lot of these christian movie stuff is they you know their villains are like you know tv villains from the 70s you know it's like they they talk they talk a lot but you don't it's not believable it's just you you know you don't feel a sense of danger that kind of a thing and and um, and this is where it, it, it becomes dangerous in terms of you know um, how far do you go, how much evil do you show, and how wicked and all that kind of stuff. And, and of course, there's a lot to debate. We have a lot to talk about, not between you and me, but I'm just saying with with people, we have to we have to wrestle with that. But in essence, you have to accurately show evil 
or your good has no power. And the more wicked you can, you can stomach in, in recognizing, then the more glorious is that redemption. Does this justify all kinds of exploitation and bloody violence and of, of all kinds? No, no, it doesn't. But as a principle, you start there and then, you know, then you move, move on. Exactly. For example, you know, in the, in the Bible, the Bible doesn't always show all the details. Sometimes it gives what's called a summary narrative, you know, where it just says, you know, David cut off his head and blah, 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 blah. Um, but there are passages where it's very detailed, like when when um, Eglon, King uh, Ehud kills King Eglon, it describes the sword going into the belly and his bowels fall out, you know. So there are some explicit passages. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, you know what what would justify that and that's where we have to talk about the, the specifics so um that was another element of horror and of course zombie movies are very explicit so uh uh anything else you want to add about horror before we jump into zombies when we when we start rolling we're going to get to a, some discussion of some of the writers tonight uh, of these these big zombie films we're talking about and we're going to talk about george romero and there's something that he said in an interview before he died recently about there's something that triggered what he said about making that film that reminded me as a writer where you have to be aware that what the story that you're telling has a life of its own and you have to listen to it and you have to decide whether what you want to do and what the story is telling you and that includes violence or not you have to listen to it but i'll, I'll wait to comment until we get there um yeah okay. so Sounds good. yeah i think it's good i i want to what i unless there's something else you want to say i i do want to go through a quick list of very quickly, for like 30 seconds, a list that was published uh, in the past couple years about some of the big key issues of why we love zombie films. And I'd love to just start out really quickly. Sure. Um, first of all, let me just say, uh, I'll let you lead on that one because it was, it was good and and, uh, and such. But I just wanted to mention, you know, what's what's the point of zombie stories, you know? Um, and some some of the, what, what some of what I think is is the purpose of zombie stories is they're often used as a metaphor i've already mentioned this for social commentary and you know we're gonna, most of the ones we're talk going to talk about do anyway so we'll talk about that but i think that there there are deep questions that the that are being asked in the genre and in from my mind they they circle around a couple of major issues which is what makes us human and this is not just a philosophical question. <laughs> you know, this is actually an emotional and a, and, and a um, it, it's a very uh, psychological question as well. What makes us human? And it's a moral question. You know, how shall we behave? And also, what makes civilization? Of course, the, the whole point of the zombie is the living dead. They are without souls or whatever you want to call it. They're not really humans. They're, they're, they're reanimated corpses. They're just out to eat you or whatever. So they represent the loss of humanity in and of themselves. Uh, but also, then that ends up becoming a question of the survivors and, and all that. So, so that's the, those are, those are a couple of um, uh, really big questions. And then the last third question that I see it as is, I can't remember, so maybe it'll come out as when we're talking. When it does come back, we'll, what, I, what I want to add to that, my own personal draw to this, this genre, without looking at what experts say, just from a gut, there are two big things that stand out. Um, one is, the first one leads into the second, and it, it is this. Me, but not me. Now, in 
there's in academia this term me but not me is is sometimes used to say i'm a certain race like i'm white and privileged and i see somebody a person of color and they're me because they're human but they're not me that is not what i'm talking about and i've looked up this philosophy and have not been able to find what i'm talking about in the exact specific term but it's this it's you there is a fear i believe that we have deep down in our psyche that we become something a monster that we don't want to become and that we can't necessarily stop ourselves but we are conscious of it and we're aware that what we're doing is wrong or dark and that is a thing of nightmares and the reason i say it is because one of my first nightmares that i remember as a kid and it goes back decades over four decades ago was being some sort of a zombie cannibal and i and i this is when i'm five six years old and i can guarantee you in the 70s i was not watching zombie movies nor was i allowed to watch them uh where i think that this these dreams came from as being a five-year-old watching land of the lost in the 70s and there were some episodes in there where marsha will and holly the three the three the, the brother sister and the father who were trapped in this dinosaur land with mystery and magic and slee stacks that there were some episodes where some of the, the father and i think even one point the brother or the sister all of them were like mesmerized to become almost zombie-like and that got into my brain and and it gave me some nightmares and one that i i will never forget i had it multiple times was that i became a type of zombie cannibal where i knew there were people around me and they were either people that i knew and some family members were becoming these animal-like versions of themselves and it's very tame it's a rated g really version of a dream for a kid that a kid would have but they were becoming cannibals and i didn't want to become it but i felt them pulling me because i was whatever was happening because i was around them i was part of the family their group there was pressure and at one point i had a dream where i did become one and that was one of the most scary not frightening in the way like waking up with night terrors scary on a profound level because as I said, I can still remember how I felt now, and this is all these years later, that I became a monster and I was aware of it and I submitted and I became something. And I think for me, that has been something of interest with zombie movies, which I didn't come to watch until I was later in my teen years. Uh, but it's I, I think there's something about that. I would, I would bet that I'm not the only person, maybe didn't have that dream, but that there's some kind of a fear. I think there's something really deep about that. And I'll parlay from that to another reason why I think we're interested in it is there is study and research for, for, for those who are therapists and doctors who work in particular for the VA and work with vets with PTSD because they were forced to kill when they didn't want to. They had to become killers and they were put in a situation because, and rightfully so, in many, in, in many occasions, these guys had to actually protect people and themselves. And they're, they've become something that they don't want to be and they can't, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to process. And I think what's interesting is zombie movies put us in this weird vicar vicarious situation where we're also fascinated with the fear of what happens if we become something we don't want, want to become. And and some of the academic studies about the zombie movies say we like the fear of that because we know it won't happen we're comfortable basically the gist is you know we like the thought of an apocalypse we like the thought of we do like watching violence but again if we're safe because a zombie movie is so crazy it's so yeah, far it's removed so from reality that, yeah, yeah yeah it will never happen so we get to in, indulge and engage in these things and i think that's really at the end of the day um and also a lot of this studies say what you said, Brian, about it's about our humanity and you either come out worse because your true nature showed that you're a terrible person or you come out 
better. You come out realizing that you were willing to sacrifice. You may live or you may not, but you learn to become a, a human being that's what God wants us to be, sacrificial and willing to put our lives on the line for others. Um, so that's it. And just this whole Let apocalyptic me, thing. Before so. you go on, um, I just want to throw it. This is the other, this has been one of the reasons why for me zombie movies are one of my favorite genres is because uh, most of them, one of the dominant themes is sacrifice, and I've said this in the last show as well, but it's uh, sacrifice versus survival. It's, and, and we're gonna, when we talk about these specifically, like The Walking Dead, that's literally what it's all about. Um, and the idea is that when you're in this kind of situation of the living dead, where these are you know soulless monsters that are trying to kill you and they won't stop and they, there's no reason, um, you you're you're on the run. And of course, they're, they're numbers, right? So so it's all about being overwhelmed and what do you do and how do you survive? And you have to survive, but how do you survive? Uh, so you know it, it's like do you do you care about the community or only your individual? So the, these values of sacrifice and survival, uh, I would I would argue it's the it's <laughs> um, it's a contrast of Darwinism basically versus Christianity in the end uh, because uh, you know so so it's that moral structure and and I uh, and I've said this before and I, I'm you know I feel like you know my human sinful nature is still with me and I have to fight it even though I have the Holy Spirit and all this but the truth is is that I'm a selfish person and so I want to watch stories that inculcate and reinforce the kind of sacrifice and it's extreme like you said it's the extreme it's like you get a lot of times it's people giving their lives if not risking their lives to save others to be eaten you know in order to save others well that in and of itself is the ultimate sacrifice right to give your life for another and to me i want to be I want that to be soaked into my soul so that if I ever get into situations where I'm needed to give of others or protect myself, that I will have saturated myself with those values. And that's why I like it. it it's because it inculcates those values. Yeah. And uh, I would, I would add that, for survival. Sorry, that that dream that no, I had ahead. when I was a kid, I actually believe that was part of God working on me saying, I'm going to give you some knowledge here now when you're a kid about following people into dark places because he may have known I needed it. I actually, if my brain was going to those places and worried about it, then he knows that I needed to be exposed to it. And that's exactly it. Being prepared. And that's one of the things also that a lot of experts say that we love zombie movies because it helps us feel like we would be the good people. And it helps us to look at how would we be prepared. And that's that's something really interesting is, oh, I'm watching these films to learn exactly like you just said, Brian, that I'm going to become, I'm going to be one of these good people. And let me think about what I would really do. And I would love sometime to just do a survey of people who love this this genre and across all I don't care what people's worldview is and say do you what do you where do you feel that you would fall I'm really curious if if a majority of people think that they would be the heroic or at least and I think because we live in a time where subjective reality rules the day we might get more people who'd actually admit no I think I'd be a jerk I think I'd throw people out the window <laughs> and I would I would I feed not. people to the zombies. I wonder yeah. if the, the the number of people who'd be willing to admit that they would do that has significantly risen in modern times, in 21st century times. But I, I think what you're saying, too, is very true in the sense that I've, I've, I've seen, I've heard about this in, in other uh, other examples of life where, uh, like things like self-defense and stuff, if you study a little bit about self-defense, um, as well as any kind of scenario in life where something, uh, you know, whatever, something threatening can happen. It could be real threat. It could be life threat. It doesn't have to be. But my, but the point is, is that they've done studies where it's like, if you do not 
think through what you will do in a situation, then chances are you won't do anything. Whether it's someone who's attacking on the street, if someone, you know, have, if you ever think about like, what would I do if someone just comes at me, you know? And, and most normal people are just so, it's so shockingly unbelievable that they don't believe it and so they don't do anything. But the value of this, these, this, you know, movies, despite the fact that it's very violent, in fact, maybe because it's very violent, it actually does force you to think more about what would I do in extreme situations where, where violence is coming at me and I have to do something violent in order to survive or to protect someone else. And just the act of thinking through that and being exposed, again, the power of stories is it reinforces values and the more you're reinforcing it, the more you've thought it through so that if it happens, the more you're likely to, do, to behave correctly. What else? What else do the ex experts have on that list? Yes, that, that you know what we covered it between what we talked about. I think we covered enough of it. It, okay. they, it had one of the last things on the list is helping to relieve stress. Like you go and and that's horror in general too. You come through this experience that's horrific, but yet you're still safe, even though you want to be scared. It's like you're on a roller coaster, but you're you're not jumping off a cliff. You're on a roller coaster that's going to park and you're going to get off. So yeah, and and it's that release, the catharsis. You know, one thing I one thing I want to say too, uh, right up front, in, in, is that, I, and I'm sure you would agree with me that horror, and particularly zombie movies, uh, are not for everyone. And mm -hmm. so we, we're yeah. sitting here defending. And, and look, I, there are some people like my wife who could never watch anything like that because the the violence is it it just touches them more personally in a way that's just uh, whatever negative. Um, and 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 it's true that it can be, and certain psych certain personality types can't handle it. Uh, but that doesn't mean other people can't. And that's yes. not to justify all excesses. But what I'm saying, and and, and what we're gonna to talk about is the context is what matters the most. I mean, if you can make an argument for um, a story where, you know, you, I would argue that 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 there is a of uh, there is a way to exploit rather than expose evil. So if you're exploiting sin, you know, maybe like for instance, you know, it's a movie that might glory in glory in evil, and there are a lot of movies that do that. Where um, the witch uh, has is very interesting, yeah. but at the end, it's hopeless. Oh, yeah. God is death isn't yeah, even yeah. maybe real, but the devil's real. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that's no, a great that was example. a great, that was a very interesting movie. I, I, we, yeah. That and and uh, but it was very disturbing. Hereditary, in that sense. they have these endings, but Hereditary, I hated at the time. We'll yeah. talk another time. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah, liked yeah. it. But Midsommar, I liked it upon re Midsommar was good. It was, uh, and I liked it for yeah. a whole lot of reasons. Although, yeah. of course, super violent. Uh, yeah. we'll talk about but, those but, on but, another but, time. But the, so the thing about violence is that. Um, Again, like I said, you know, uh, if you don't take the, the purpose of some extremes is that you need to be brought to that edge in order to understand. You need it's sort of like you need to be faced with death for you to really take serious what life is. And by the way, that's another reason why I love zombie movies because it really does. You are faced with your impending doom and death, and it's not about like. Oh, I just glory in fear. No, what it is is watching these stories of of characters who are just faced with their death makes you think about, wow, am I? What am I doing with my life? Could I, if I was facing death, that you know, would would I, would I be ready to face death? You know, and and I think it's valuable to think about these things, and and um, 
Yeah, so, so uh, but those are some issues, the violence and, and such, that, that it's not for everyone. And I would argue, too, that sometimes they, like, I, I was not always a zombie fan. In fact, uh, though I, I recognize what Romero, George Romero was doing in those years, I didn't like them. They were just gory, and, and there was social commentary going on very loudly. Um, but I just thought that it was just so excessively gory. It Me, too. Know. I was not really a big fan. It, and I didn't, it's just like, I didn't see Night of the Living dead for until i was in my 30s probably and i looked at it, i was like whoa wow this is yeah, a much yeah. better movie and i've imagined this is better than any of those night of the living dead movies yeah yeah, um, yeah. i didn't realize so, but again that can be subjective and that's uh, you know that's uh there's not, it's not black and white so you have to really wrestle through those things and that's fair um one of the th- other things that i think the zombie movies is good for is we'll just be talking about the the, the genre all before we get to the pictures that's yeah okay. after you say a, this comment i have a couple things to say so say yeah, this we, comment we, we then gotta, i'm gonna jump we're in. gonna we're gonna have a couple episodes on this folks so yeah. uh we want to set you up we want to set you up so another element of the zombie genre is this notion of well first of all as most horror films as most movies most movies reflect uh the time in which they are and so zombie movies often and horror movies reflect also the fears of the era and so you've got um one of those uh, one of those examples uh, you know for example you know the older zombie movies they tend to be zombies because of radiation nuclear war you know that kind of stuff and then as time goes on it becomes biological warfare and such you know and so um uh but one of those elements is the slow versus the fast zombie and you know of course the the origin of the zombies you know if you look back it was you know like some voodoo south american thing where you know it was about uh, uh in fact i think one of the first movies was called white zombie with bella lugosi 1932 yep. yeah and, and i saw that and and it was kind of interesting but the idea was was based on the this voodoo or hoodoo belief i can't remember which one but that you know that they could you know people who were dead and and the voodoo doctor could actually you know use the magic and and bring them back to life but unfortunately they they were living dead meaning you know they didn't have their souls and they were just like oh you know that kind of thing and and of course it was more more individualistic when it was conceived and way long ago but as time goes on and we started having you know nuclear fallout and or fears of nuclear wars and all that stuff and you mass destruction with that comes mass humanity and and so you started to have these mass amounts of zombies you know arising yeah. What's interesting is about voodoo, there is an, there's an acknowledgement in the voodoo films, like, again, that that white zombie has is a voodoo. The guy who, Bela Lugosi is like a voodoo, his name is Murder. And there's a sense of, okay, if we're going to deal with zombie stuff, we're going to deal with there's an evil here about a, a spiritual evil. And that's, dis, that is oh, yeah. diluted. And now when we talk about zombie movies, even in night, it's all Living science, Dead, it's, it's science or we've just gone away from it. And it's very interesting to be for us to examine that and be aware that, oh, that hasn't gone. It started showing itself up in how do we behave? It went from, oh, my goodness. And in, in that Bela Lugosi movie, it's about two, a lover and a jealous lover who want the same woman. And the jealous lover gets her turned to a zombie so that she'll be with him. And then he's like, oh, my goodness, she's not the person that she was. What was I thinking? We got to get her back. And they have to kill the sorcerer guy, the, the voodoo guy, to get them free, to get her free. But what we have now, instead of dealing with, oh, the actual person, we have, what are the people around the zombies? What are we dealing with their moral character? And it's yeah, a way to no, deal with that, spirituality in the world, but the world isn't acknowledging that it's actually about God. That's It's very interesting that, again, I said this first episode that no matter how much you say God doesn't exist and you write stories and you tell these stories, it's 
overwhelmingly apparent how God is real. And it comes out in these stories. You can't, it's like trying to stop water with your hands when a, when a stream is coming at you. You may think somehow you're blocking some of the flow and you may not see what's on your, hitting your face if you do this, but it's going around. There's nothing you can do. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, so, so the, the slowness makes sense logically because, um, you know, they were dead and they don't have their soul or whatever, however you interpret that. Um, and so, uh, you know, and they're the living dead. They're not like truly, they're not resurrected technically, I think, you know, they're just, they're, the, the, the dead body has become reanimated, but not with the original person's soul. And part of the point is, is that's why they're not considered human anymore, which justifies, uh, you know, the slaughtering them because they're exactly. just going to eat you and kill you and there's no humanity to them. And that's fine because that's an acceptable, under, that's an acceptable moral premise, actually. Yes. But, you know, the, and the, the, the power of it was this overwhelming of all these, you know, slow guys, you know, blah, blah. But then as time goes on, um, in, in these more modern zombies, of course, they're not. Because Definitely as they become the more 70s. biological, it becomes more like a disease that, that turns your body into a frenzy. And so you've got these fast zombies running after you, which those are my favorite because those are the truly terrifying uh pictures of of the worst of what we can become you know and and so the more modern has the speed and of course you know we've got uh, and then that even builds on itself so so that like the latest movies um world war z and train to busan they're these zombies are like just pile up on each other they're just so fast you know so it's interesting to see the evolving of the way they're they're depicted and, and the way they operate in the world itself and such but that's and like you said, of, one of the elements. You, we start to look at, oh, what is the soul? Uh, what's going on with the, the, the humanity of the zombies themselves? And we're going to talk about Richard Matheson, I Am Legend, and the three versions and how they progress based well, let's on get, time. Well, let's, well, first of all, let's, let's hit the, the classic. We'll start with the we're Night of the Living Dead. Quickly, I want to add one more thing. Oh, go ahead. One other thing I think, that, and, I, and during a pandemic and even before this, why I think we really like zombie films, it's a secondary reason, but a reset of the world is very appealing. Let's get rid of everything or all these stresses, my terrible job, all the hard work I have to do, every, all these stresses of commercialism and, 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 and capitalism and, or, or not. You could be anywhere in the world under oppression and it's just like, let's reset it now. The world is wide open. And that can be bad, but it can be good. And we, yeah. we Actually, I would say that. that socialism creates zombies and capitalism frees us. But Freezes us. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> okay, so why did you talk about Night of the Living Dead and yeah. um, you know, introduce us to that? Yeah. Night of the Living Dead, 1968 classic. John A. Russo and George Romero wrote it, but George Romero is the director. And it's a film, it's the most straightforward zombie film it's a template film for how everything that came after that time in 1968 in the zombie genre it literally deals with dead who are risen who are not as we've been talking about are not the people that they were and it deals with basically a strong focus on how do we behave as human beings under the duress it brings out the best and the worst in us and it has a little bit because it's in 68 cold war era Radiation makes its way in, the, the, which is the living with the Cold War, the fears of nuclear war. There's a little bit of that, but really it's just about man and women versus zombies and what happens when we're in closed quarters? How do we behave when our life is on the line? And that's the essence of the setup for that. Raw, this film. simple, straightforward. Absolutely. Um, it was kind of interesting, too, because, you know, it, what's interesting is to see the evolution of what we're going to, uh, you know, basically, there, 1968, and you've got the lead of the movie is a black guy, which is 
kind of shocking. I mean, and he's, but he's, it's not like, because it's an independent film and it's not like he's um, Sidney Poitier or anything, right? Um, but it's, it, it's, in that sense, it's 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 quite a uh, the independent world, you know, is able to do that kind of thing more readily, you know. But you told me about the story about that. I I thought that was like, ooh, look at that little social commentary. Uh, but the truth is, is mm-hmm. what the truth is, and, and I'll say, Jordan Peele has been quoted as talking about Get Out and 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 the other projects he's been working on since horror, and I would guess some of the Twilight Zone stuff that he's doing the reboot. He's like, this movie is incredibly profound and and had an impact on him because the lead character, Ben, and the actor's name is Dwayne. What's his name? His name's Dwayne Jones. That he's an African-American lead who's the guy who is the most sane. He's a strong guy. He's a leader. Uh, Turns out, absolutely, George Romero and the crew and the team that put the film together did not cast him because he was an African-American man. They did not write it for that. He was the best actor, and they said, okay, you, you got the job and did not write any differences or changes in the script because he was an African-American guy. Wait, you're telling me that they didn't hire him because of his race, but because of the quality of his acting? Yes, but uh, we <laughs> have to be not careful They're identity with that. politics, Chris. <laughs> we have to be careful about gotcha. that one. We, we have to be careful about that one because there are so many great African-American actors who couldn't work for years. As a matter of fact, people of color and... I haven't mentioned this yet, but my wife is is Chinese, so I, we have lots of discussions about cultural differences and white privilege, by the way, and that's going to come out in this podcast. But one thing, uh, there was a reunion. And this guy, I will Josh correct Gad. it when it comes up. You can correct, and I'll recorrect, and we'll correct and recorrect. There's this act. There's this guy named Josh Gad, and he has this reunited show that's on now, which is awesome. And his first episode was Goonies, and they went through the whole thing. It was fun, and that the Asian kid actor in that. Uh, who played a character called Data in it. I believe his name is Data. Uh, He mentions at the end of this whole thing, he's in his early 40s now, and everybody always wondered, whatever happened to you? Why'd you stop working? And he said, I stopped working because I'm an Asian actor and nobody hired me. But now that things are changing, I can work. I'm looking for work. So anyway... No, we that, got it. When yeah, we talk no, about no, hiring people def- for their color, there are so many people who are incredibly talented that would never yeah. get hired if if things hadn't kind of taken a turn the way they are now. So this is complicated, and we're going to talk about this in another episode. But one of the things that I found interesting was, you know, I was looking for first of all George Romero. You know, he's being edgy in, in many ways, and he's an independent filmmaker. Um, and he makes the black guy the lead. And at the end of the movie, you know, the whole thing is, you know, this guy, you know, gets to the end and he survives. And then the, uh, uh, you know, the sheriff's men are, have been hunting the zombies. And, it's, you know, he wakes up in the morning, clear day, he's looking out the window. And the, the, the uh, sheriff's men and, st- and, and such, they see the house and they, you know, they're looking for zombies because they're finishing them off, right? And, and, um, and and the the black guy is like looking out the window, and of course they think he's a zombie, and they shoot him, right? But what's interesting to me was he completely avoided the political angle of it, because you he, they couldn't see him. In, in other words, it's not like he came out in the light. You know, nowadays it would be like, oh yeah, see, the black man Absolutely. is, is going to be killed because all white men are after the black men. You know, and and the truth is is that no, he he was in the shadow yep. behind the window, so they just saw the shape of him. They saw a shape, and they thought it was a zombie. So it's interesting. 
interesting that he, he went out of his way not to be political, which, yeah. you know, tells me, I don't know what it tells me, but it, it, it was kind of interesting that nope. Romero uh, was more interested in telling entertainment than just pushing a political agenda. Yeah, and, and, I, and I have things no, were I have super no problem. Yeah. I have no problem with, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about that, like all these examples, uh, there are political uh, a- angles and aspects to them, but what I really detest is when they're agenda-driven and they're, you know, like Jordan Peele, Peele where it's just, it's just racism, you know, parading as anti-racism. That's the kind of stuff that I can't stand. Right. But let's, we let's, both have a, diff, a, a tough time of that. And the choice that George Romero made to do exactly that, to make it clear that the two of them did not see each other, was very clear because you got to remember this is the height of civil rights. He could have easily made a statement about that yeah. and he didn't want to, um, which I... I have something to say about that in a second, but what I will say is it's very interesting, though, you have this two people who are pointing guns at each other, they can't see each other, and one of the guys kills the other. There's actually a statement about humanity there that is not about color. It's about fear, and it's about and I, we could even probe and try, as we're talking about this, think about what that means. But he's making a very strong statement in the end with the shooting and the tragedy of it, and then we don't see in the end, oh my gosh, he wasn't a zombie because he probably fell over when the character's name Ben fell over. He probably lost the gun and they're like, he's a zombie. Yeah, they yeah, wouldn't they, know. yeah, they would never know. So yeah. they have no the- idea. But it was definitely the sense of, I think he's making a statement too about humanity. We shoot first and ask questions later. And I yeah, think you know, that, I, I also and, and, think and I'll say something really quickly, story about that film. A lot of those people who were on the hunt are real hunters. And the guy who's playing the sheriff in one of the reviews or one of the interviews I saw with George Romero, he's actually like a hunter. He's not a sheriff in real life. He's so that these guys kind of knew what they were. They were really good at hunting with weapons because a lot of these guys were hunters. So there's this thing at the end of hunters versus somebody who's a survivor and it shoot first. And I think we have that humanity in us. He's criticizing us because he goes in on all these close-ups over the credits of all the dead people, including the bad people, the dad, who's a bad guy, uh, in the house who's trapped, who winds up getting eaten by his daughter, and all the other innocent people. And it's like, it's really saying there's humanity here and this is tragedy, but he's not, they're, they're not, I, yeah. You know, I, I don't know if I agree with that fully. I can see him, I could see him sort of bringing element of the caution of, you know, we need to be, we need to be uh, not quick to the, quick to the trigger maybe but the whole point is is the entire movie was just you know they're surrounded by zombies and they're having to kill zombies because the zombies are killing people so what i see at the ending is more of a tragedy not like you know because the truth is is you gotta you gotta shoot them you gotta kill them you gotta shoot them in the head and um so by the time that happens i see it more as a tragedy myself yeah i think and, you're no i think you're but, right but i think he's way, doing I more do think, it's the tragedy than it is about other, making any kind right, of right but other movies do deal with what you said and i think 28 days later is one of them yeah uh, yeah. Let's jump into the I Am Legend trio. No, oh, so, wait. I don't want to leave this yet. We, oh, oh, I, I don't want to leave more, this yet. Okay. We've got right. some good stuff to talk about right. here, and I really, I'll take the lead on this. Okay. I do not want to leave this yet. Um, so, couple thing, couple other things, and th- and this is us talking be- as writers and as story creators. Um, you know, we just talked about we talked about Dwayne, this guy Dwayne Jones, the actor, played the lead African American guy. He's just the best guy, and they cast him. Well, what's interesting is George Romero said in this story. In interviews, he wanted everything very clinical. He wanted everybody, all the actors, to not be super excited and super nervous and kind of living as if, okay, this is bad stuff, but let's keep our heads on. And what he found is the actors didn't want to do that to the level that he wanted. And I thought, it, there's two really interesting things about that. One, they're living in the Cold War era, and he's coming from an, a time period 
all the films leading up to this where it's all monster hysteria movies. People are like, oh my gosh, in the end of the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the last guy who survives comes out and jumps in front of guards going, oh my gosh, they're coming or whatever. That's where they're coming from. And this is like, he's like, no, we don't want to do that. We want this to be straightforward. And this gets to what we talked about in the prior episode about pandemics when we were talking about flu. People, the people in South Korea living under the oppression of North Korea and avian flu and human trafficking, and they're dealing with it in a very honest way. And that's what I think Romero was doing here is he wanted, he was really trying to keep the actors toned down because he wanted to them to reflect the reality of living under the Cold War. And and but as a storyteller he had to give some he had to let back some and and say okay you guys need to put some emotion and some of you are more comfortable and he had to listen and what i what i love about that is um what i absolutely love about that is you can't it, it when we we're mentioning earlier as being writers sometimes a story will tell you your characters can't do what you want it's not just when you're directing it's when you're writing on the page I think my character is going to do this, and guess what? They're telling me that they're not going to let me do what I want. And I think that if you are a story creator of any sort, in any pipeline, phase of the pipeline, if you're not struggling with issues where your characters, or if you're a director, and your actors aren't giving you input that's different from what, what you want to do, I think there's something not quite right about your art. I'm curious what you think about that, Brian. Do you find yourself when you're writing your characters rebelling against some things you want to do because they're saying, no, you can't do it as easily as you want? Does that happen for you? Um, a little bit. Um, I, my viewpoint's a little different from, from the typical in that sense, in that I do, there is some discovery um, there is some surprises, absolutely. However, what I found, and it, it fits more my, my view of whatever my worldview actually is, is that as the creator, as the god of my world, since I'm creating <laughs> it, when I create characters, you know, I do planning. You know, I create, you know, whatever. So Joe Schmo is a, you know, is a, sac a sacrificial guy. You know, maybe he's a military guy, so he, he knows how to sacrifice. And but he's cold. He doesn't have many emotions. You know, I set the up characters specifically and to contrast them. Then I'll have the other guy who's selfish and he's very emotional. He's an artist or whatever, right? So I I th I think ahead. By the way, I I think I'm speaking for many writers. You know, because I get a lot of this advice from more successful than I. But my point is, is that in a way we are creating the uh aristotle said um that basically um what, what was it character character is destiny that's it character is destiny what he meant by that is uh and for, particularly with storytelling is that what your values and the kind of person you are will can be a certain amount of predictability to it, right? So, I mean, obviously, if there's an honest person, an honest Joe guy, you know, if he's going to be challenged to lie, you have, you're more than likely he's not going to rather than someone who's more selfish, you know, that kind of a thing. So, so if you set up a certain kind of character with a certain kind of personality type, certain kind of values, then that is very predictable how they will act. In fact, that's how you know you're going to have conflict because I've created characters that I know are going to conflict and so they, they do in, in those scenarios. So, in that sense, I'm very much like, uh, or uh, the author is very much like the creator God in that he predestines, uh, you know, he creates people and, and there's a certain amount of sovereignty over over what happens in history. However, I will admit though that, yeah, there are some surprises that sometimes, you know, when you, you when the story goes and, and when it's what the surprises come from the clash of the different characters that you, when you start to make them clash, then the things come out. But 
I would argue that if you're being consistent with your character of how you created them, uh, it's it, there's an ultimate predictability to it, right? You know, even if it's a surprise to you in the moment, if you trace it back, you might say, oh, well, no, it makes perfect sense. Because otherwise, it, how many times have you seen a movie or reading a story and some character does something completely out of character, yes. right? And, and you go, he wouldn't do that, you know? Well, that's that's because they're they're just let you know whatever they're letting plot dominate or or they're letting chance dominate or they want to be entertaining and shocking, right? And and I get all that, and sometimes we do a little bit of that. And also, not all humans are not entirely consistent. So I have no problem with the fact that a person might act inconsistently and it would shock us because I've been that way myself. So that's kind of my view about uh, about uh, characters and, and predictability and stuff. So yeah, I have some overlap. There's some, uh, there's some surprise, but it is more, I would argue, probably more determined by the author than the, by the way you set up the character anyway. I agree. That, I think is that too too much. No, blabbing? I think that's good because no, be, and and I think what's interesting exactly. If you know who this character is, you know what they're going to do in circumstances, and there's some breathing room. But you know, but you hit it exactly. The element of clash, where it's interesting with characters, or sometimes in a plot when I'm working and I have a character clashes in a very emotional way or a very heavy duty way, I'm like, oh my gosh, what I thought this character was going to do, because I do know who they are, and with this character I knew who they are. When they get together in this moment with the, in a pot boiler, or they're in some moment, some. Something happens it's super intense suddenly the character because i know this character well says i'm not going to do it you put in your outline and your your treatment even i'm not going to do it because that's not me in this moment and i go oh yeah you're right i still know that the plot is going to move forward the way it does but it doesn't go the way and, and in a treatment earlier on i'm a guy who likes to do outlines and treatments meaning i like to write most of my beats out really fast and go through so this way when i go back and i'm writing i'm on a third pass the first time i'm writing and i it gives me three checkpoints to see if what i'm doing is seeming phony or, or real and but even then on those on that first write where i'm actually doing stuff i'll go back to the treatment the beats and i'll go you know what this guy this isn't what this character's honestly telling me they want to do they could do what i said but this is more realistic this is better but what does and this have to do with zombies dude it just has to do with romero saying he had an idea how these people had to behave and what they had to do gotcha. and it gotcha. didn't and he even says he would get the actors rolling without a camera and once they started getting to a place where he felt okay now you're going where i want he would turn the camera on he, because part of it's budget, black and white, they had to do it low budget. Uh, but I think that's a good point to make about whether it's acting or whether you're writing, you're in a creative process and sometimes sure. things don't go and maybe it doesn't have as much for you. But for me, I find myself in this situation a bit. Okay, here, here's an unpredictable, uh, something we didn't plan for, but we partially planned this outline. But as we go along, we're, we're kind of nearing the end of this show. So we could talk about one thing. I think let's leave the the trio of I Am Legend, yes, Omega Man, and The Last Man on Earth. Let's leave that for the next episode. We can get heavy into that. So we'll pick one thing to talk about, either the, the series The Walking Dead, because it's so huge, um, or the 28 Days uh, franchise. What do let's you want? do 28, because Walking okay. Dead, there's a lot of good yeah, stuff to talk yeah. about no, there, we'll, too. So we'll hit Walking Dead the creator. Okay. So, yeah. so let's jump into 20. So 28 days later and 28 weeks later, um, and we're going to focus probably more on 28 days later. But this is a this is one of my favorite all, all time favorite zombie movies. Um, it, it almost I don't know. It, it didn't uh, along with Shaun of the Dead. Um, it it 
I don't know, it just did something for me because it was so profound in its meaning. And it's, and I watched it again, you know, for us to talk about mm-hmm. it and stuff. And it still had the same emotional, powerful impact upon me. Very primal. And here's the basic storyline is, is that uh, Cillian Murphy uh, wakes up in a hospital bed because he had surgery. And he looks all around and, or he was sick or had surgery or something, right? Yeah, he was, yeah, in, I think yeah, he was having surgery, surgery or something. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah, so anyway, so he wakes up and no one's around, right? And he starts walking out the street. What happened? So it, it, 28 days he was in a coma and he comes out and, and what's going on? And all of a sudden some zombies run after him and he's on the run and, you know, he gets rescued and, 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 and all that. And But the power of the story is that, um, um, is that you know, he, he gets a couple of allies and they end up uh, hearing about on the radio about this this. Uh, location where the some military guys, some military have housed up in your safe here. We got food. Come, come. So they make their way to this, and when they get there, it's a, a small band of military guys who are holding down the fort, so to speak. So they're very protected in that sense. It's very good. And the zombies are out there, and they come at night and they shoot them and take care of them. So it's all good. But the problem is, is that these are all men. They're military guys. They're over, you know, they're over uh, macho, whatever, and. Um, and Silly uh, Murphy has a, a, a young black woman and a young girl with him that he's been protecting. And they, of course, get their eyes on those women and they want to use them for their own satisfaction because they've been without women for 28 days, right? That, that kind of, it's basically the worst of male nature. And, and then, you know, and, and, and when that when that realization comes, because first of all, they're like rescued and wow, they're protected in this fortress, so to speak, and they got guns and the zombies aren't gonna get them. And then all of a sudden you start to see who these guys are and you're like, oh my God, they've walked into a worse trap, right? And then what happens is is that it breaks down and, and um, uh, Cillian Murphy actually uh, escapes, they're gonna kill him, he escapes and he comes back to, to save the women and unlaunch, he launches in a zombie and, and it's this big you know brawl at the end, guys being killed by zombies and killing each other and while he's trying to rescue the women and, and give them out of it. And so that's, but the, it was such a power, I remember this story is so powerful because you it really does address that worst of, uh, the worst of male nature of what it could be and the horror that I sense as a man, I'm watching this and go, oh my God, that's real. But here's the thing. The reason why I love the movie is it does, it's not focused on male bashing, man bashing, whatever, you know. It's not It's not the feminist utopian uh, story because uh, Cillian Murphy, in order to, sa- he saves the women <laughs> and he saves them by engaging in violence against the evil men of violence. So I, I call this righteous violence. So Cillian Murphy represents the righteous violence that, that fights against the evil violence to rescue the women. So it's very chivalrous, which is not very positive in today's world or not very liked in today's world. But I thought that it really has these old values that I actually agree with and, and love. And, 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 and but but it's honest. It does show and admit the, the the worst that male male can be. But it's the answer to to quote the toxic masculinity. The answer to uh, evil men, uh, evil violent men, is righteous violent man. 
And that's justice, that's goodness, not uh, you know, whatever, pacifism or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, just this sort of like, you're not going to get out negotiating and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, it, you know, forgive me for, for jumping in and, and, and going, you know, just sort of spilling my guts, but that was, it's, it's one of the most powerful zombie movies. And, and, but please, now, you know, jump in and, and add or, or what have you. No, I, lo I love your analysis of righteous violence, righteous retribution, uh, righteous indignation, which leads to being forced. That's very biblical. Um, and I and I absolutely agree. I love that. And I hadn't thought about that contrast between that contrast between righteous indignation, uh, uh, righteous violence and unrighteous. And, and, and especially when you talk about malehood, I'm going to go save these women which is what the deepest core man saving a man yes brotherhood but when yeah. it comes to a woman there's this deep should be innate sense of uh uh doing that kind doing this kind of chivalrous justice being again sacrificial putting yourself on the line and if it means dying then i'm going to do it and that is so great and for a movie like this that has extreme violence it's really interesting that you come out with this biblical view uh that you can uh with this movie for me when i first saw it in the theater some of the things that are part of the sto storytelling you've mentioned this is a super fast zombie movie this is like you oh, get yeah. it in your instant i've never i had never seen a movie yeah. turn zombie this fast that was Same what was shocking about this they changed yeah. this up now maybe there's some b movie out there that was done yeah. in the 80s no, or 90s but you're right that was you're like, right it was like he did the fast zombie movie it, it, uh, unusually it stood out you know yeah, it stood it's out. a mainstream movie i guess you know? yes but it, but but regardless that was exciting and that was like night of the living dead this movie started a new genre of movies like world war z and the I Am Legend reboot, I believe the zombies become super zombified really quickly. Although yeah. we don't see people turning in the movie, but I think in the past it's very fast. I mean, it's just, yeah. but a few things here that's interesting. It's 28 days later. There's a sense of a rebirth into a new world, which again, you start this movie out. And when you see Killian Murphy, when he comes out and you see, you see London and it's empty, that was yeah. shocking and, and incredible. And you're like, this is a reset of a major city again. It's Everything is open, good and evil. Anything can happen. Um, but there's this sense of 28-day cycle into something evil instead, which is abhorrent. And that's where some. Of, that's why this the zombies are so evil. There's something yeah. wrong about this, and it's super evil. It's and and the the bad guys again. It shows human nature, good and bad. But um, a couple things. Storytelling. Since we are talking about a film, something very interesting about this movie is the way it was shot. It was shot on video. And that gave this movie a hyper-realistic feel that it was like, oh my gosh, this is real. Because visual effects at that time on handheld shots, on video, to be able to rotoscope and to be able to put in realistic shots that looked like a, a big budget film, but were done on video with handheld shots, the technology was not super great at that time. So the fact that they pulled that off made this movie, and a lot of audience members wouldn't miss necessarily be able to articulate that, but I did yeah, because yeah. I worked in editorial. And I was like, yeah. wow, they're doing this. And the other thing is, Danny Boyle and his cinematographer decided to super degrade. They shot on like a high resolution, I think standard def digital format. And in the EPKs, the making ofs, you can see glimpses in the making of on the DVD of what the footage actually looked like. And it's much better. They yeah. purposely crapped up the image to make it look terrible. Because they want to look like it's a home video, so like it really happened. Yep. Really, it's it, the genius of it to me was uh, we'll talk about this if we talk about rec and, and quarantine, but. 
found footage horror films, the premise is, you know, the Blair Witch Project. You know, we found this footage, and so you're watching the real footage that they shot. That genre, the whole point of it is, it 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 heightens the 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 scariness because it makes it seem more real than just a sh glossy movie like oh this was really shot and so but what Danny Boyle did was he didn't have the handheld uh, you know because there's weaknesses I think to the you know the found footage meaning it's usually from someone who's holding a camera the whole time and they're part of the story but you're you're limited on what you can see which is advantage but disadvantage and but boy what Boyle does is he gives you the sense and feel of the home video footage or the the found footage movie without being found footage so he's able to marshal all the directing uh elements that will will help the story despite that but yeah that's i i i remember too first saw it, it's like wow that looks really you know like video video-y and stuff but then it's you're like multi-generation it, it. dubbed it. it's not just video it's like vhs video it's mm -hmm. been dubbed over to make it look and the blu-ray edition of this movie looks just as terrible as the dvd yeah i was yeah. quite yeah. shocked about that they did not go for the source material on that camera and like retime it to make it look a little better the, the, there's no reason by the blu-ray of this movie because it looks it's the video transfer and it looks terrible and that's intentional because it's super gross well that so that you know that's that's but that's why i think it's so important to me because you know man's issue men's issues and stuff today you know i feel like in our culture um basically men are under attack male maleness is under attack literally like you know um just Toxic masculinity basically means being male. I mean, it's not. It's not like. It's not like. Oh, if you're, if there are some men who are jerks and asses. It's like no. It's a part of who men are, and so there's all these different elements in our in our culture. You know, uh, uh, which is basically you know. Men are the one most men are the ones most mocked on TV shows and stuff. You know, make them look like fools and stuff. And you know, and look, I realize too that you know women have their day now and they're they're leads in all the movies and in all the series and stuff. And that's fine. You know, they're going to have their day, but it's all part of that current social milieu that I feel is sort of like denigrating to men. And 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 the the biggest accusation is that you know you've heard that you've heard the thing. Um, you know, uh, men who cause who fight wars. If women were in charge, we wouldn't have any wars. Well, that's BS. But not only that, it's like yeah, men men are the ones who start the wars, and men are the ones who finish the wars. And that's what I liked about this movie. It was saying, it was admitting, yeah, men can be evil, and here's how bad they can really be. And it's it it still turns my stomach when I see that moment, you know. But then it also says, but there is hope. There is, uh, and there's a way out. And the way out is by is by by mass masculinity chivalrous masculinity so I'm, I'm probably repeating myself but that's that's why I loved about it and and you know so I was excited when 28 weeks later came out which stars Car uh, Robert Carlyle uh, it's a little different take on yeah. it I don't hold, think hold it's on a quick oh, second oh, oh, I, I, I need to make some comments before we oh, move please on. do um, and I'm gonna take us off on a slight tangent that it's about what you're talking about but I want to talk about it now first off really quickly my my point of view and again I'm more liberal in some areas than you at the end of the day, I think we're both pretty much on the same page. But, you know, women having their time and their due and, and people of color, I think it's way overdue. And I don't think this is a passing fad. And I hope it's not. I really do want to see women on equal standing and people who are not white on equal standing in TV and getting a chance. And we are in a but but that said, and I really do want to see this. I'm angry like you are at this white 
tox and toxic masculinity nonsense. And I want to mention a quick thing about the current reboot of The Twilight Zone because it relates to exactly what you are just talking about. And I do want to go here for a second because I've been burning up over this and now I have a chance to talk about it. So there was an episode this season, the Jordan Peele reboot, which about 50% of the episodes I hated for exactly that. It was white male bashing and I thought it was rubbish. But there were 50% of the episodes that were awesome. And the last episode of the season is about an African-American writer on the show and it becomes meta. And it was beautiful. It was awesome. And I'm like, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see all this stuff that's male bashing and white male bashing. And the episode that was the most atrocious about that show that was a disgrace was about, it's an episode where it starts out with this guy who's actor who's playing Lenny Bruce on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He's a great actor. He's playing this guy, and this woman comes over to his place, who's the main protagonist, and they're having a date, and there's a meteor shower. And they go out, and they're looking around, and there's like all these little meteors coming. It's like, oh, cool. And they go out, and they find him. Well, what comes of the story, to make, to make a long story short, for no reason at all, the men in this town, who are like 98% white, start taking these meteorite rocks and go into the bars in their homes and throw them in their drinks and start drinking them. And it becomes a trend that they're going to drink meteorite rocks. And they go nuts. They start beating on women, killing each other, trying to rape women. And and it goes, the, the, the husband of one of the characters suddenly just starts trying to kill her. And... You, you know you know where I'm going with this. Do you want to, I saw it coming in the first 10 minutes. Do you want to know what happened at the end when the military comes in and cleans the town out, which is kind of like the end of, of Night of the Living Dead? I was just waiting on the edge of my seat. I'm like, I'm waiting for you to say it. I can't believe you're going to say it. And they did. The excuse was, boys will be boys. There's nothing in the rocks that made them psycho, murderous, killer, rapists. They just were looking for an excuse. And the lead two women that survived walk out of this tent, medical tent, that's mostly women doing the science but it's a guy at the door with a machine gun and he looks at the woman, the protagonist, and says, looks up and down and goes, you should dress hotter. You should dress prettier. And she looks at him and goes, no. And she leaves. And I almost <laughs> fell off my chair. I'm like, I cannot believe Rod Serling his daughter's involved in this show. I cannot believe that Rod Serling would have said that that was okay. They're saying Rod Serling's daughter's involved. And I'm like, you're telling me that he would say that bashing white men like himself are just waiting to be murderous killers and rapists yeah. for no reason. Yeah. I really couldn't believe what I was seeing, but I knew it as I was watching where they were going. And I, so anyway, yeah. I need to put that in about what fair you enough. just said. No, that's that's fair enough. And, and you see and, how and worked I up I am. I was enough. so pissed about that. <laughs> no, no, that's no, it's good. That's really good. And 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 by the way, I can't I can't um, uh, say enough about. Uh, uh, the fact that even though I'm 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 the very I'm a yeah I'm a right wing conservative guy and all that so but but the truth is is I'm very very aware and very much want to admit to the to the the negative side of men and wh how bad they can really truly be um, and and that's why I love this that the movie was because it honestly had both and and that's what I'm looking for in a movie because in fact when I first watched it oh and this this brings up another thing about the whole nature of horror and zombies that we didn't quite address and that was when I first watched it I was actually you know because most of Hollywood is is leftist and for me as a conservative there's you know there's there's not as much that satisfies me you know as others but but I, I'm watching something and oh boy I, I, I could I could see the context you know the, the the military men and they're gonna you know rape the women and and in a way the point was was that we they were no different than the zombies 
in a very essential way. They were they, technically they were worse because they were human, and yet they were willing to to rape and destroy and you know for their own satisfaction. Well, all the zombies are doing is just trying to eat, and so there's a real equivalency going on there, you know. But then you know I was thinking, oh boy, is that what it's going to be? You know, the message. But then when I saw how it ended, I, I thought, wow, that was so so much more profound than the, a political agenda to it, you know. And but this is one of the elements of of you know, I'm jumping back a little bit. We, we're we're going to have to end end here, but but um, uh, the nature of horror is that um, you know so. You have to show the evil. You have to show the violence to to, to face death and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the the problem is is that when you the, the first half of the story is oftentimes very negative, right? Uh, you know, and and and. Um, and this is where my wife kind of has problems, where she sees the negative part in the beginning of the story. She's like, I don't like this. These are bad. You know, I want to see goodness, not bad. You know, and I'm like, well, honey, they got to show the bad so that when the good comes in and saves the day at the end, you know, then then that makes more sense. Right. Because if there's no real evil to save, then it's not an interesting story, you know. And that's I think that's the nature of horror as well, is that it, it, it ramps it up. It's, you know, whatever, the grossness, the vile, the violence, whatever. But in the end, most of these most of the mainstream horror movies do have um, they do have a a message that is is good. It's not about glorifying the evil. However, a lot of horror movies don't and positively, but that doesn't mean, you know, now we're back to Night of the Living Dead, right? Where we, we were talking about this. And just because a movie ends negatively, it could be nihilistic, meaning, you know, the filmmakers, and by the way, I think more of the, there are more of these today than ever before. It could mean that they're saying, you know, their life has no meaning and, and this is all going to end like this. It's a metaphor for our lives. We're going to die and, and be food for the worms, right? But not always. A lot of times it's a tragedy and it's to get you to think, wow, look what could happen the negative that could happen and how tragic it feels when you're watching that story, right? It's like you're supposed to be inspired to say, therefore, I don't want to let that happen. So I want to I want to be a man of courage. I want to be a man of self-sacrifice, you know, so that it doesn't end up like that. That's how, you know, when I see Night of the Living Dead, it's a tragedy, but it is the warning. It's a moral warning saying, look, we must you know, we must be, we must think these things through. We must be cautious or we, these mistakes yeah. will occur, if that makes sense. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Um, I'll let you kind of wrap this up. Um, uh, Chris, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the military aspect of the 28 Days franchise. And then um, if you want to bleed into 28 weeks later, and then we're going to just wrap up the show. Yeah. So just to bring this to a close, um, but some important things here, uh, 28 weeks later deals with that rogue group of military guys who are not following orders who are really evil and trying to take advantage of these women and 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 take them for themselves that's that's a totally acceptable view of like rogue military guys but what gets me annoyed uh is so many films use this imagery of the military just goes nuts and everyone in the military 98 99% of the people who are involved from top to bottom are willing in a second to burn towns kill people <laughs> we saw an outbreak we talked yeah. about previously the military is just we're going to kill everybody let's burn them that is so f ridiculous there's no way the men and women of this country who are who are who are fighting for our freedoms and protecting us that is not a mindset that comes up that is that is not an option um and i know we like to i actually met somebody on the street 
uh, and I and I talked to some other people that I knew during this COVID out, out pandemic, and they were literally quoting me about what they thought was happening now, and and all kinds of conspiracies. And I was like, and when I watched Outbreak, I was like, wow, you're just quoting the film, and but it, a lot of it comes up about the military, and 28 weeks later deals with this issue. It's military, and it even though it's in London and it's in Britain, it happens to be that everybody who's coming in who's in the military speaks with North American accents. They're, they happen to be Americans who are coming in, and they're willing. <laughs> Idris Elba, who's British, is, is is talking like he's from America, like he works for the, the, whether it's the UN or whatever, it sounds like he's an American, whether it's Canadian or from the USA. But anyway, it's that sense of, it's very annoying in these films that it's like a go-to that happens a lot in Hollywood films and yeah. in stories. And these zombie films almost always play up on that. And what's really nice about 28 Weeks Later is you have Jeremy Renner's character who says, I am I am protecting, I am a, a man of the military, I do protect people, and I'm not going to follow orders because I know it's wrong. And that it's it's really beautiful because I think this film really helped to put him on the on the get him charted as a movie yeah. star because then we yeah. have a hurt lock and other things and he became a superstar but this movie is a smaller film that started to make him that guy who's very empathetic and intelligent who's not going to follow orders and that was a good representation i think of realistically what people in the military would actually do right. um and this movie in that moment with his character in 28 weeks later not burning everybody and killing everybody to clean out this second wave of 28 week 28 week later version of the terrible zombie apocalypse we saw it when we were talking about previously in contagion not following the orders Lawrence Fishburne's character realizes that there's a guy who's lower in society John Hawks who's a who has a son and he's a janitor and and that and John Hawk's character calls out Lawrence Fishburne. And in the end of the movie, Lawrence Fishburne breaks with protocol. That's a gross, terrible break of what he's told to do and what he knows to do. He gives his serum and takes it to the guy, to John Hawk's kid, and gives it to him and says, You can't have the bracelet. I gotta keep it to keep up appearances, but here it is because I want you to be protected because you're right. I'm in a better position. Um and and that's beautiful. And I think um we also get uh, an outbreak the whole thing why i think we really like that movie is the human element it doesn't matter about all the stuff about break outbreak and disease and whatnot that's yeah. whether it's realistic or not what's beautiful about it is people who are willing to put their lives and their careers on the line to save other people people they love and people that they don't even know people who are in, in, civilians who don't who can't protect themselves and um so that's one of the really great things I thought about 28 weeks later uh, to wrap up this discussion. And I think we already talked about we already talked about Robert Carlyle being a super evil zombie. I mean, we, we've kind of brushed up on it, but he's a super evil zombie who is the epitome. He's already a bad guy and a coward, and he becomes more evil. Super gross, terrible, violent evil, because that's what he is. Well, wait, before you get into that, let me say that the movie starts with him, with his wife, and the zombies attack, and th this is the quintessential, you know, like, launch of the whole story is he gets so cowardly that he runs and leaves his wife behind him and we think she gets 
taken out by the zombies. And so he's living this story. He's, and it turns out he's got a couple kids who are out of town. So later on in the movie, he gets reunited with the kids and he has to address them while he's got this moral, uh, uh, this thing hanging over him that he knew that he was a coward and let his wife to die. And it haunts him and it haunts him, you know. And of course, the whole point of the story becomes sacrifice versus survival. And he is the epitome of personal survival even to the extent where he gives up his his own wife, right? But then it turns out she didn't. She actually is. She she's has some kind of immunity that that she 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 can be a carrier, but she doesn't turn into a zombie. So he gets reunited with her, and then there's all that interrelationship where she knows that she he betrayed her, but he wants to come back, and and it's just very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. And what's interesting is his character becoming the true evil version of himself kills his own wife who's the only person there who may have had a, a cure if because yes. they, they had it he kills her it ends any chance and it takes the progresses all the way down to the worst possible situation he's trying to kill his own kids yes, at the very yes. last he's trying to kill his own kids it's the most grotesque version and i'd say when you compare that to the other really great element in the film which is self-sacrifice jeremy renner's character yeah. that is going against orders you have the two versions again of terrible male violence that's yeah. present in the first movie, an awesome yeah. male standing up and doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, he was a fa- he was a father and a husband who gave who gave up his own family for his own self. And like what you said is he gets wor- It's like, by the way, uh, it, the the weakness of zombie movies is that there's no unique, there's no individual zombie who's the bad guy. And and I, you know, I'm a believer in the traditional storytelling of having a strong villain. You you can have all these henchmen, but you gotta have one strong villain that's fighting against the hero in some way and that's the weakness of zombie movies so you got to find a villain usually it's a villain who's a real human who's a bad guy who's trying right but in this case they were able to make the 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 husband who became the zombie and he ends up in a way hunting them down all the way to the end of the movie so it was a very clever take on on the fact that normally zombies are mindlessly trying to kill but in this case he happens to have been following them yes And, and i didn't even realize i didn't even think about that until you actually brought that point up but oh yeah, yeah he's descending he's descending yeah and what I, and what's really interesting too what you said about when you don't have a specific villain in zombie films zombie films are more like a disaster film a tidal wave is coming and but in those films too generally towering inferno whatever there are going to be bad people who are getting in the way of good people surviving yeah. and that's what you have with zombie films are in a typical one is yeah. you have to have human beings but Last Train to Busan has a similar bad guy who's nowhere near as evil as Robert Carlyle. But when we talk about that film, uh, they use it there too. It's he's not a next major time. Next, next time, time and he's not a major cliffhanger, but it's twenty eight weeks later and twenty eight days later complement each other very well. You guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, be aware, um, you know, all my stuff is at Gadawa.com and all of Chris's stuff is at cmobmo.com. Cmobmo.com. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode, which will be part two. It'll be Return of the Zombie Apocalypse. We're going to look at uh, the Omega Man, I Am Legend, uh, the, that trio of movies based on the original book, I Am Legend, and how they, they cover the different eras and how they reflected a, a, a growth in a way. Uh, of storytelling and such as well as the walking dead and some other stuff so uh stay tuned we'll 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 catch you soon thanks a lot bye thank you for listening to the god and entertainment podcast we'll see you soon